We're sorry that at the beginning of today's message there were technical issues. Let's join the service already in progress. And yet, he was a tyrant. He was paranoid. He was always thinking someone was out to get him, so he was always out to get someone else. And the very opening statement of the Magi, when they came into his presence, would have been enough to set him off because they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? He knew he wasn't born in that lineage of David. He knew he had no right to that throne. And that paranoia was just compounded by the fact that they're coming and looking for the rightful one to sit on the throne. And so, to discover the location of this child, he calls in the scholars, the guys who knew the scriptures. And he says, hey, could you guys tell, and I don't even, honestly, again, I wasn't there. I don't think the wise men were with him at this time. I think this is a private meeting. He pulls them in and he goes, where, where's the Messiah to be born? Because you see, Herod understood Herod understood that this was not just an ordinary king. This was to be the Messiah, the one who was to redeem Israel. Where is he going to be born? And so they too opened the scrolls and they came to him and they said this, Micah chapter 5, 2, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He'll be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod calls the wise men back in and he tries to get the timing of this just right. When did you see the star? Because you see, they couldn't take a, an airline. And when they saw the star, it took them a while to get there. And then he tells them this. Here's what I want you guys to do. Man, I'm so excited. I, man, I'm so glad you brought me this news. I've been waiting to hear something like this. It's just made my day. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go find him. You go, you find him. You go and you worship him because that's, that's what you're here to do. You've come to worship him, you said. You do that. Now, when you get done, on your way back, would you stop by here and tell me who he is and where he is? Because you know what? I'd like to go and worship him too. Now, I don't know. He, he seems like a shifty used car salesman, doesn't he? I mean, he's, he's just baiting it. Oh, if you're a used car salesman, I promise. I, you're probably not the shifty kind, okay? There are, shi there are shifty ones. You know them too. You may have worked with them. Okay. This, he, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you, you come back and you tell me so I can go worship him too. Man, I'm so excited about this. But if you finish reading chapter 2, and I'd encourage you to do that sometime this afternoon, you'll discover that wasn't his plan at all. He didn't want to worship this baby. He wanted to kill him. There's another one who might challenge my authority, challenge my place. And so the wise men... They left. Let, let's pick them in verse 9, okay? Verse 9. And let's read down through verse 12. Okay. After listening to the king, they went on their way. 
And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This is one of the reasons why I think this was not just a, an, an ordinary astronomical happening because it appears that this star now is leading them. As they've gotten closer, it's like the map on the GPS is zoomed in, okay? They're, they're getting more specific direction as to where to go, not just to the, to the community of Bethlehem, to, but to a particular place. And when they saw the star, it said they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Do you notice what it says here? It says that going into the house. Now you're going to go, wait a minute. Pastor, in my house, we have a nativity, t- nativity scene set up. And, and there is, is our baby Jesus in the manger right in the center. And among those around him, there, well, there's a couple of shepherds who've shown up. But then there's these three guys with gifts. Pastor, are you telling me they didn't show up at the stable with the gifts? And I'm going to let you know that, no, they didn't. It tells you right here. That they came to the house where they were. So unless this has happened, unless he has been born and then the people who didn't have room for him said, you know what, since you got a baby, come on in. Unless that happened, this is very likely talking about a time after Jesus was born. Jesus may have been anywhere from 6 to 18 months old by this time. Remember, they didn't just show up, you know, just... It's not like us. You and I can just hop in the car and say, you know what? We, we can just get what we need at Walmart when we get there. That, that's kind of what we're thinking. When we go somewhere, you know, Nancy and I go, well, you know, if we've got something, we can always pick it up there. That wasn't like, they're going to make this journey. There's probably, there's probably more than three of them, okay? It's not just these three guys and some camels. They would have had to have a large entourage, and I would probably say that we say that there are gifts that we're going to see here in just a minute. Three gifts, so there must have been three guys. My guess is, this is just a guess, because it doesn't tell us. My guess is, if that community of magi, wise men, back in Babylon or Persia, wherever they came from, realized that there was going to be a new king born, and they could go and get in and see him at the very ground floor. They would want to do it. So my guess is there's a rather large contingent that's come. But the gifts that they brought are certainly listed, and they were three. Again, you don't have to agree with me on this, and you do not have to go to your house and take the wise men out of your nativity scene and move them across the room. You don't have to do that. If you go to my house, if you look on the mantle in our, in our library, you will see that the wise men are right there, and I'm not going to move them just because it's a little out of sync, maybe, chronologically. They got there eventually. They're good. Okay, let's keep going because I didn't finish the verse. And going into the house, it said, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense, and myrrh no legos or wrestling sets in there 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So the Magi, they leave, they, they go uh, to Bethlehem, they, they find this child, just as the, the, the scripture in Micah had said that, that that's where he would be born. Star led them there. And when they found the child, they not only gave him gifts, they gave him worship. Which is far more important than the gifts. Now, I know there's a lot made about the kinds of gifts made and how it signified certain aspects of who Jesus was, and, and that's fine. Honestly, I don't think the, that Mary and Joseph thought too much about that because what you'll see later is that they, in order to, to flee from Herod, they, they go down to Egypt and they stay there. And so I, I'm pretty sure when they got to Alibaba's pawn shop that it was these gifts that were given that were able to sustain them while they had to stay in Egypt. I don't think, it, you know, you've got some stuff, you've got some gifts that you never use, you just keep in a box. You may open it up and look at it from time to time. You never use those things. That weren't, these gifts were going to be incredibly practical for them to sustain them during their time in, in Egypt before coming back and eventually settling in the area of Galilee. So we've got this story. A story of some strange guys who come up from a far-off land a story of a wicked king and the story of this new star, this new light that appears in the sky. And you go, okay, Jimmy, I've, I've learned some things that I didn't know before. Thank you for helping me out there. But I told you that God's word is, is not just informative, it is, it is incredibly practical for us. And I'd like to share a few things as I read through this that, that, that kind of rose to the surface for me that, that I want to share with you I think is, is helpful as we plan to apply this in our own lives. And the first is this, and if you've got the notes on the back of the handout, you'll see that there are some, some places where you can, can write these down if you'd like to remember them. First of all, Jesus was no ordinary child and no typical king. What we celebrate... It, at Christmas time is more than a birthday. Now, children are precious. God loves each and every one of them. Children are precious. They're precious to, to God. They're precious to most of us. When we see a child hurt or abused in some way, it breaks our hearts and makes us angry. It does the same thing to God. But Jesus was no ordinary child. The scriptures here tell us, and in fact, scriptures have told us for centuries, who he would be he was no typical king remember he came not simply to not to sit on the throne in the way we thought of it his disciples thought that was exactly what was going to happen he was going to go take the throne in jerusalem but jesus came as king but not the king they expected the king they needed but not the king they expected I read this morning it just kind of it struck me I, I shared it with nancy or maybe it was last night it all runs together but it said that thousands of babies have been born to be a king. That's true. But only one king was born as a baby. 
Christmas is different. It's why we celebrate. It's why we rejoice. Because he was no ordinary child. And he's no ordinary king. Secondly, the coming of Jesus was God's revealed plan for the salvation of the world. All the way back in Genesis, after the fall of Adam and Eve, God says that a descendant of Eve will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent's going to strike the heel, but the descendant of Eve is going to crush the head of the serpent. All the way back there, the prophecies begin, and it un, it, it, it's, like it, you, it's like an onion. You just can unpeel layer after layer after layer after layer after layer. And that's what we see. This is God's plan for the salvation of the world, to send his son Jesus. Jesus is not God's, God's plan B. Okay, nothing else worked. Jesus, you go and see if you can handle it. Now, this was God's plan for the salvation of the world from the very beginning. Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. This is God's plan. And we simply see that the birth of Jesus is another unfolding, another, this is, it, it's, it's moving into hyperspeed. Third, those who truly and honestly seek truth will find Jesus. I'm convinced of this. If you come in unbiased in your approach to truth, if what you seek is truth, then you will find Jesus who is the way the truth, and the life. And finally, worship and devotion are right responses to Jesus. But not everyone will respond that way. That's what we saw in Herod. Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He wanted to wipe him out. Jesus was going to get in his way. Jesus was going to mess things up for him. But the only right response to Jesus, to Jesus born in Bethlehem, the Jesus who walked beside the Sea of Galilee and, in fact, on it, the Jesus who cleared the temple, the Jesus who was arrested outside the Garden of Gethsemane, the Jesus who was crucified on Calvary, the Jesus who was laid in a borrowed tomb, the Jesus who rose again on the third day. The Jesus who ascended to his Father. And the Jesus who promised to come back for us. The only right response to that Jesus is to worship him. To adore him. To honor him. Here's what I've learned. That if our heart for God is right... then it sets everything else right. The reason they could come and give such lavish gifts is not simply because they were trying to buy the good graces of a king. They gave because they, they understood before they ever got there the significance of who Jesus was. They set out on their journey to worship him. And once you and I have settled that matter in our hearts, then we too will give up anything 
in order to worship him and to be in his presence. Some of you this morning have, you, you hear this and it resonates with you and it just brings great joy to you. And I got to tell you, for some of you, it may bring a little discomfort. Because you don't look at Jesus in this way. It's a good story, something we tell at Christmas time, but let's not take it too serious. You explain things away. Because here's the reality. If you come to a point in your life where you accept that Jesus is who he said he is, that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, then it lays a claim on your heart, on your devotion, on your decision-making. If you surrender to Jesus as Savior, you also receive him as Lord. That's not an easy thing. You give up your will for his, your life for the life he has for you. Some of you struggled against that, but I want to invite you today to quit struggling. There's a God who loves you so much you sent his son to die on Calvary's cross for you. And if you today are ready to receive God's gift of salvation, you don't have to bring gold with you. You don't have to bring myrrh. You don't have to bring frankincense. Most of you wouldn't know where to get it if you had to. You just bring yourself just as you are. And you find a God who loves you just as you are but doesn't want to leave you that way. There is salvation for you. If you need that this morning, I invite you to receive it in Jesus Christ, to follow in the footsteps of Heather and of Casey who led our way today. And for those of you who are, then I want to ask you, for the next couple of days leading up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, to do a little rearranging. I'm not talking about trees and lights and wreaths. To take a few minutes and do a little rearranging on the inside. And to ask yourself, is Jesus, is Jesus at the center, not just of my Christmas, but is he at the center of my life? And if not, what needs to be reshaped, retooled, reworked? in order for me to recognize that the child in the manger is the king who sits on the throne. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for meeting us here today and for speaking through your word, such an ancient word, and yet so relevant for today. Lord, we want to be like those wise men who are determined to worship Jesus to do whatever it takes to simply be in his presence. Lord, I thank you that that is possible because of what Jesus has done for us. It is not by our effort. It is not by our works, not even by our gifts that we are acceptable in your sight. Jesus was the once for all sacrifice who paid the supreme price that you and I might know salvation. So, Lord, I pray now, if there's anyone here who needs Jesus more than anything else and who's ready today to receive him, then, Lord, I pray that you would speak to him, speak to her. By your spirit, draw that person to yourself. 
There are those who want to begin a reordering of their lives so that the Jesus of the cross and the cradle becomes the center. Lord, that today might be that day. And Lord, if there are those who need a church home, a place to belong, then Lord, if you're leading them to grace, let them have the courage, the wisdom, and humility to come. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.